0: Section thirty five of Emile. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Emile by Jean Jacques Rousseau. Translated by Barbara Foxley. The Creed of the Savoyard Priest. Part ten gambling is no sport for the rich it is the resource of those who have nothing to do i shall be so busy with my pleasures that i shall have no time to waste i am poor and lonely and i never play unless it is a game of chess now and then and that is more than enough if i were rich i would play even less and for very low stakes so that i should not be disappointed myself nor see the disappointment of others the wealthy man has no motive for play and the love of play will not degenerate into the passion for gambling unless the disposition is evil the rich man is always more keenly aware of his losses than his gains and as in games where the stakes are not high the winnings are generally exhausted in the long run he will usually lose more than he gains so that if we reason rightly we shall scarcely take a great fancy to games where the odds are against us he who flatters his vanity so far as to believe that fortune favours him can seek her favour in more exciting ways and her favours are just as clearly shown when the stakes are low as when they are high the taste for play the result of greed and dullness only lays hold of empty hearts and heads and i think i should have enough feeling and knowledge to dispense with its help thinkers are seldom gamblers gambling interrupts the habit of thought and turns it towards barren combinations thus one good result perhaps the only good result of the taste for science is that it deadens to some extent this vulgar passion people will prefer to try to discover the uses of play rather than to devote themselves to it i should argue with the gamblers against gambling and i should find more delight in scoffing at their losses than in winning their money i should be the same in private life as in my social intercourse i should wish my fortune to bring comfort in its train never to make people conscious of inequalities of wealth showy dress is inconvenient in many ways to preserve as much freedom as possible among other men i should like to be dressed in such a way that i should not seem out of place among all classes and should not attract attention in any so that without affectation or change i might mingle with the crowd at the inn or with the nobility at the palais royal in this way i should be more than ever my own master and should be free to enjoy the pleasures of all sorts and conditions of men there are women so they say whose doors are closed to embroidered cuffs women who will only receive guests who wear lace ruffles i should spend my days elsewhere though if these women were young and pretty i might sometimes put on lace ruffles to spend an evening or so in their company mutual affection similarity of tastes suitability of character these are the only bonds between my companions and myself among them i would be a man not a person of wealth the charm of their society would never be embittered by self-seeking if my wealth had not robbed me of all humanity i would scatter my benefits and my services broadcast but i should want companions about me not courtiers friends not protégés i should wish my friends to regard me as their host not their patron independence and equality would leave to my relations with my friends the sincerity of good will while duty and self-seeking would have no place among us and we should know no law but that of pleasure and friendship neither a friend nor a mistress can be bought women may be got for money but that road will never lead to love love is not only for sale money strikes it dead if a man pays were he indeed the most lovable of men the mere fact of payment would prevent any lasting affection he would soon be paying for someone else or rather someone else will get his money and in this double connection based on self-seeking and debauchery without love honour or true pleasure the woman is grasping faithless and unhappy and she is treated by the wretch to whom she gives her money as she treats the fool who gives his money to her she has no love for either it would be sweet to lie generous towards one we love if that did not make a bargain of love i know only one way of gratifying this desire with a woman who loves without embittering love it is to bestow our all upon her and to live at her expense it remains to be seen whether there is any woman with regard to whom such conduct would not be unwise he who said "Lass is mine but i am not hers was talking nonsense possession which is not mutual is nothing at all at most it is the possession of the sex not the individual but where there is no morality in love why make such a do about the rest Nothing is so easy to find. A muleteer is in this respect as near to happiness as a millionaire. Oh, if we could thus trace out the unreasonableness of vice, how often we shall find that, when it has obtained its object, it discovers it is not what it seemed. Why is there this cruel haste to corrupt innocence, to make a victim of a young creature whom we ought to protect, one who is dragged by this first false step into a gulf of misery from which only death can release her brutality vanity folly air and nothing more this pleasure itself is unnatural it rests on popular opinion and popular opinion at its worst since it depends on scorn of self he who knows he is the basest of men fears comparison with others and would be the first that he may be less hateful see if those who are most greedy in pursuit of such fancied pleasures are ever attractive young men men worthy of pleasing men who might have some excuse if they were hard to please not so any one with good looks merit and feeling has little fear of his mistress's experience with well-placed confidence he says to her you know what pleasure is what is that to me my heart assures me that this is not so but an aged satyr worn out with debauchery with no charm no consideration no thought for any but himself with no shred of honour incapable and unworthy of finding favour in the eyes of any woman who knows anything of men deserving of love expects to make up for all this with an innocent girl by trading on her inexperience and stirring her emotions for the first time his last hope is to find favour as a novelty no doubt this is the secret motive of his desire but he is mistaken the horror he excites is just as natural as the desires he wishes to arouse he is also mistaken in his foolish attempt that very nature takes care to assert her rights every girl who sells herself is no longer a maid she has given herself to the man of her choice and she is making the very comparison he dreads the pleasure purchased is imaginary but none the less hateful for my own part however riches may change me there is one matter in which i shall never change if I have neither morals nor virtue, I shall not be wholly without taste, without sense, without delicacy, and this will prevent me from spending my fortune in the pursuit of empty dreams, from wasting my money and my strength in teaching children to betray me and mock at me. If I were young, I would seek the pleasures of youth, and as I would have them at their best, I would not seek them in the guise of a rich man if i were at my present age it would be another matter i would wisely confine myself to the pleasures of my age i would form tastes which i could enjoy and i would stifle those which could only cause suffering i would not go and offer my grey beard to the scornful jests of young girls i could never bear to sicken them with my disgusting caresses to furnish them at my expense with the most absurd stories to imagine them describing the vile pleasures of the old ape, so as to avenge themselves for what they had endured. But if habits unresisted had changed my former desires into needs, I would perhaps satisfy those needs, but with shame and blushes. I would distinguish between passion and necessity. I would find a suitable mistress, and would keep to her i would not make a business of my weakness and above all i would only have one person aware of it life has other pleasures when these fail us by hastening in vain after those that fly us we deprive ourselves of those that remain let our tastes change with our years let us no more meddle with age than with seasons we should be ourselves at all times instead of struggling against nature such vain attempts exhaust our strength and prevent the right use of life the lower classes are seldom dull their life is full of activity if there is little variety in their amusements they do not recur frequently many days of labour teach them to enjoy their rare holidays short intervals of leisure between long periods of labour give a spice to the pleasures of their station the chief curse of the rich is dullness in the midst of costly amusements among so many men striving to give them pleasure they are devoured and slain by dullness their life is spent in fleeing from it and in being overtaken by it they are overwhelmed by the intolerable burden women more especially who do not know how to work or play are a prey to tedium under the name of the vapors with them it takes the shape of a dreadful disease which robs them of their reason and even of their life for my part i know no more terrible fate than that of a pretty woman in paris unless it is that of the pretty manikin who devotes himself to her who becomes idle and effeminate like her and so deprives himself twice over of his manhood while he prides himself on his successes and for their sake endures the longest and dullest days which human being ever put up with proprieties fashions customs which depend on luxury and breeding confine the course of life within the limits of the most miserable uniformity the pleasures we desire to display to others is a pleasure lost we neither enjoy it ourselves nor do others enjoy it Footnote two ladies of fashion, who wished to seem to be enjoying themselves greatly, decided never to go to bed before five o'clock in the morning. In the depths of winter their servants spent the night in the street waiting for them, and with great difficulty kept themselves from freezing. One night, or rather one morning, someone entered the room where these merry people spent their hours without knowing how time passed. He found them quite alone, each of them was asleep in her armchair and footnote ridicule which public opinion dreads more than anything is ever at hand to tyrannize and punish it is only ceremony that makes us ridiculous if we can vary our place and our pleasures to-day's impressions can efface those of yesterday in the mind of men they are as if they had never been but we enjoy ourselves for we throw ourselves into every hour and every thing my only set rule would be this. Wherever I was, I would pay no heed to anything else. I would take each day as it came, as if there were neither yesterday nor tomorrow. As I should be a man of the people, with the populace, I should be a countryman in the fields, and if I spoke of farming, the peasants should not laugh at my expense. I would not go and build a town in the country, nor erect the tuileries at the door of my lodgings on some pleasant shady hillside i would have a little cottage a white house with green shutters and though a thatched roof is the best all the year round i would be grand enough to have not those gloomy slates but tiles because they look brighter and more cheerful than thatch and the houses of my own country are always roofed with them and so they would recall to me something of the happy days of my youth for my courtyard i would have a poultry-yard and for my stable a cow-shed for the sake of the milk which i love my garden would be a kitchen-garden and my park an orchard like the one described further on the fruit would be free to those who walked in the orchard my gardener should neither count it nor gather it i would not with greedy show display before your eyes superb espaliers which one scarcely dares touch. But this small extravagance would not be costly, for I would choose my abode in some remote province where silver is scarce and food plentiful, where plenty and poverty have their seat. There I would gather round me a company, select rather than numerous, a band of friends who know what pleasure is and how to enjoy it, women who can leave their armchairs and betake themselves to outdoors women who can exchange the shuttle of the cards for the fishing-line or the bird-trap the gleaner's rake or grape-gatherer's basket there all the pretensions of the town will be forgotten and we shall be villagers in a village we shall find all sorts of different sports and we shall hardly know how to choose the morrow's occupation exercise and an active life will improve our digestion and modify our tastes every meal will be a feast where plenty will be more pleasing than any delicacies there are no such cooks in the world as mirth rural pursuits and merry games and the finest made dishes are quite ridiculous in the eyes of people who have been on foot since early dawn our meals would be served without regard to order or elegance we shall make our dining-room everywhere in the garden on a boat beneath a tree sometimes at a distance from the house on the banks of a running stream on the fresh green grass among the clumps of willow and hazel a long procession of guests will carry the material for the feast with laughter and singing the turf will be our chairs and table the banks of the stream our sideboard and our dessert is hanging on the trees the dishes will be served in any order appetite needs no ceremony each one of us openly putting himself first would gladly see everyone else do the same from this warm-hearted and temperate familiarity there would arise without coarseness pretense or constraint a laughing conflict a hundredfold more delightful than politeness and more likely to cement our friendship no tedious lunkies to listen to our words to whisper criticisms on our behaviour to count every mouthful with greedy eyes to amuse themselves by keeping us waiting for our wine to complain of the length of our dinner we shall be our own servants in order to be our own masters time will fly unheeded our meal will be an interval of rest during the heat of the day if some peasant comes our way returning from his work with his tools over his shoulders i will cheer his heart with kindly words and a glass or two of good wine which will help him to bear his poverty more cheerfully and i too shall have the joy of feeling my heart stirred within me and i should say to myself i too am a man if the inhabitants of the district assembled for some rustic feast i and my friends would be there among the first if there were marriages, more blessed than those of towns, celebrated near my home, every one would know how I loved to see people happy, and I should be invited. I would take these good folks some gifts as simple as themselves, a gift which would be my share of the feast, and in exchange I should obtain gifts beyond price, gifts a little known among my equals, the gifts of freedom and true pleasure. I should sup gaily at the head of their long table, I should join in the chorus of some rustic song, and I should dance in the barn more merrily than at a ball in the opera house. This is all very well so far, you will say, but what about the shooting? One must have some sport in the country. Just so. I only wanted a farm, but I was wrong. I assume I am rich. I must keep my pleasures to myself. I must be free to kill something this is quite another matter i must have estates woods keepers rents signorial rights particularly incense and holy water well and good but i shall have neighbours about my estate who are jealous of their rights and anxious to encroach on those of others our keepers will quarrel and possibly their masters will quarrel too this means altercations, disputes, ill-will, or lawsuits at the least. This in itself is not very pleasant. My tenants will not enjoy finding my hares at work upon their corn, or my wild boars among their beans. As they dare not kill the enemy, every one of them will try to drive him from their fields. When the day has been spent in cultivating the ground, they will be compelled to sit up at night to watch it they have their watch-dogs drums horns and bells my sleep will be disturbed by their racket do what i will i cannot help thinking of the misery of these poor people and i cannot help blaming myself for it if i had the honour of being a prince this would make little impression on me but as i am a self-made man who has only just come into his property i am still vulgar at heart that is not all abundance of game attracts trespassers i shall soon have poachers to punish i shall require prisons jailers guards and galleys all this strikes me as cruel the wives of those miserable creatures will besiege my door and disturb me with their crying they must either be driven away or roughly handled the poor people who are not poachers whose harvest has been destroyed by my game will come next with their complaints some people will be put to death for killing the game the rest will be punished for having spared it what a choice of evils on every side i shall find nothing but misery and hear nothing but groans so far as i can see this must greatly disturb the pleasure of slaying at one's ease heaps of partridges and hares which are tame enough to run about one's feet if you would have pleasure without pain, let there be no monopoly. The more you leave it free to everybody, the pure will be your own enjoyment. Therefore, I should not do what I have just described, but without change of tastes, I would follow those which seem likely to cause me least pain. I would fix my rustic abode in a district where game is not preserved, and where I can have my sport without hindrance. Game will be less plentiful but there will be more skill in finding it and more pleasure in securing it i remember the start of delight with which my father watched the rise of his first partridge and the rapture with which he found the hare he had sought all day long yes i declare that alone with his dog carrying his own gun cartridges and game-bag together with his hare he came home at nightfall worn out with fatigue and torn to pieces by brambles but better pleased with his day's sport than all your ordinary sportsmen who on a good horse with twenty guns ready for them merely take one gun after another and shoot and kill everything that comes their way without skill without glory and almost without exercise the pleasure is none the less and the difficulties are removed there is no estate to be preserved no poacher to be punished and no wretches to be tormented here are solid grounds for preference whatever you do you cannot torment men forever without experiencing some amount of discomfort and sooner or later the muttered curses of the people will spoil the flavour of your game again monopoly destroys pleasure real pleasures are those which we share with the crowd we lose what we try to keep to ourselves alone if the walls i build round my park transform it into a gloomy prison i have only deprived myself at great expense of the pleasure of a walk i must now seek that pleasure at a distance the demon of property spoils everything he lays his hands upon a rich man wants to be master everywhere and he is never happy where he is he is continually driven to flee from himself I shall therefore continue to do in my prosperity what I did in my poverty. Henceforward, richer in the wealth of others than I ever shall be in my own wealth, I will take possession of everything in my neighbourhood that takes my fancy. No conqueror is so determined as I. I even usurp the rights of princes. I take possession of every open place that pleases me. I give them names. This is my park chat is my terrace and i am their owner henceforward i wander among them at will i often return to maintain my proprietary rights i make what use i choose of the ground to walk upon and you will never convince me that the nominal owner of the property which i have appropriated gets better value out of the money it yields him than i do of his land no matter if i am interrupted by hedges and ditches i take my park on my back and i carry it everywhere there will be space enough for it near at hand and i may plunder my neighbours long enough before i outstay my welcome this is an attempt to show what is meant by good taste in the choice of pleasant occupations for our leisure hours this is a spirit of enjoyment all else is illusion fancy and foolish pride he who disobeys these rules however rich he may be will devour his gold on a dunghill and will never know what it is to live you will say no doubt that such amusements lie within the reach of all that we need not to be rich to enjoy them that is the very point i am coming to pleasure is ours when we want it it is only social prejudice which makes everything hard to obtain and drives pleasure before us to be happy is a hundredfold easier than it seems if he really desires to enjoy himself the man of taste has no need of riches all he wants is to be free and to be his own master with health and daily bread we are rich enough if we will but get rid of our prejudices this is the golden mean of horace you folks with your strong boxes may find some other use for your wealth, for it cannot buy you pleasure. Emile knows this as well as I, but his heart is purer and more healthy, so he will feel it more strongly, and all that he has beheld in society will only serve to confirm him in this opinion. While our time is thus employed, we are ever on the lookout for Sophie, and we have not yet found her it was not desirable that she should be found too easily and i have taken care to look for her where i knew we should not find her the time is come we must now seek her in earnest lest emile should mistake someone else for sophie and to discover his heir when it is too late then farewell paris far-famed paris with all your noise and smoke and dirt where the women have ceased to believe in honour and the men in virtue we are in search of love happiness innocence the further we go from paris the better and of the creed of the savoyard priest